Hi everyone and welcome to episode number 18 of my podcast. It's me, Jill, today and today I'm joined by my best friend and one of my inner circle people, Sarah R. And this is the second time that Sarah's been on the podcast and on the first one we were talking about sort of how she manages her life with being a full-time mom um, you know, a wife as well as holding a full-time job and still trying to maintain a fitness routine. Um, and at the time we did know that Sarah was pregnant, but we wanted to wait a little bit longer until we kind of released this one here. And in this one here, we talk about, well, we come up from two sides. Um, we sort of start with an overview of how things have developed over the decades when we talk about training when you're pregnant. Um, we then feed into Sarah's own personal journey where we, she talks through how she's adapted her own training during each of the trimesters um, and ultimately, you know, some tidbits here and there as we always do. And I really hope that if you are, you know, a mom now or you are pregnant or you've just given birth or you're thinking about getting pregnant, that there's something in this podcast that you can take something away and kind of apply it to yourself. Um, I've also... Um, um, hooked up in the link in my bio on the Instagram account, um, a research paper where pretty much I've been, um, again, most of the insights for the content for this podcast. It was a very good um, meta-analysis of everything um, over the years. Um, so if you are interested, I have put that there for you. And guys, without further ado, let's rock on and let's bring Sarah on to the podcast. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast yet again. How are you? I am good. Great to be back. Lovely to have you back. I was, um, just for the guys listening, me and Sarah were talking before and we were saying the first time that Sarah was on this podcast when we talked about, you know, her being a mom and her training and her, her trials and tribulations as she worked through fitness and, and all that. She was actually pregnant at the time, but we couldn't say, well, not that we couldn't say, but, you know. Yeah, it's still early <laughs> it was very early doors and I guess throughout this here we kind of wanted to come back and um, talk about a topic that I guess would be very close to a lot of people's hearts if you currently are you know pregnant or have just delivered or are thinking about it and the topic is going to be training when you're pregnant um, and it is very much I think Sarah and I can both agree it's very much a taboo topic because you know there is a lot of people out there still with the mindset that once you're pregnant you have to stop yeah yeah and <laughs> you know it's we talk about this all the time just because you are pregnant you know you, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have to stop and I hope that by you know this podcast the way we're going to work it is I'm going to chat a little bit about kind of how it's evolved and how the recommendations um you know were created sort of decade through to decade to where we are today and what we can make of that information and apply it not only as a coach but also as an athlete or somebody who might not even be an athlete but are looking to maintain some sort of activity levels when they're pregnant what are the recommendations um and then sarah is is going to sort of take over and lead us through you know what she's currently doing um, in her fitness routine, what she did in her first and second trimester. And now she's just about to head into her third. Third, yes. <laughs> Maybe a couple of weeks. 
Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is going to be, I know this is going to be awesome. It always is awesome. And the fact that we're twinning, I know you can't see as you're only hearing our voice, but we are both wearing pink t-shirts, uh, quite apt yes. because it is, uh, and breast cancer awareness month. Um, so I think we can just sort of get cracking and, uh, a little bit. Tired. So I, I'm going to kind of kick off, um, with a little bit of talking and kind of, and kind of run through a flow start with kind of no. And most of us know that we should do some sort of activity throughout our pregnancy. And it is in fact somewhat encouraged. Um, but at that point, we often get confused or there's an element of grayness as to how much and in what dose. And we often hear touted that, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very safe to exercise whenever you're pregnant and, that, and that's okay. But if some people, some people don't have a basic understanding of what that actually means, what if they went and they were doing, for example, like a HIIT exercise and, you know, and they weren't doing that before they were pregnant. And also, if we look at the current guidelines, we would say that, well, high intensity exercise training is something that is not encouraged. So I think it's a very, very confusing um, a very confusing topic, especially for, for those that maybe don't have a background in fitness. And it can often maybe put a little bit of fear into people and then they, and then they don't actually engage in activity whenever they are pregnant. Um, and for the sake of kind of science, I think you have to look at it where a vast amount of research has been conducted. Um, the jury is very much always out on certain things. There's always outliers or there's very much always research that will conflict each other. Um, and that just because, because obviously for ethical reasons, you know, you can't create a large enough study or a sample of telling people not to exercise because then you kind of would prevent them from benefiting from the positive effects of exercise when you're pregnant. And then at the same time, you can't train people to the extent where you're putting them at risk because we don't know what that would be. And then God forbid something does happen to the child. So there is an element of, you know, we really don't know. And a lot of the trials that are out there, um, it's really just very, very difficult to determine, um, you know, a one glove fits all. And that's why kind of, as you kind of move through the decades, it kind of pulled together sort of, you know, both sort of medical fields, science fields and, and physical practitioners, they've kind of pulled together to put general guidelines together. But like with everything, and I think if you've listened to these podcasts long enough, when we've talked about nutrition, or we've talked about injury, or we've talked about fitness, it's just not a one glove fits all. And you have to apply some sort of individuality there. And I think, Sarah, would you agree to that in some way, shape or form? Uh, 100%. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, because what I'm going to talk about now, and even when we talk about the guidelines, I mean, you're, I'm probably looking at Sarah going, Sarah probably disregards these. <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's okay, you know, because when we come to it, we have to, we have to understand the element of, of sort of individuality um, when it comes to training as well, regardless of whether it's elderly children or, or pre-postnatal. Um, so what I want to look at is kind of looking at a timeline of, I guess, guidelines. Um, and it has really kind of snowballed since I'd say the 1970s. And actually, I was actually talking to my mom before this, because I was trying to get an insight of what it was like being pregnant whenever, you know, in the eighties or even whenever she was born in the fifties and mm -hmm. 1957, I was like, so mom, you know, did nanny, you know, exercise. And she was like, well, like, you know, what? like exercise, I went for a walk, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> what is exercise? <laughs> and I think that's hilarious. And, you know, Sarah, you and I were both on that um, a webinar there the other week, and they were talking about this as well. But, you know, I really think that the ball has really has to lie with, with the health services, you know, and giving people the education and the knowledge that they need to know, because a lot of people still don't even understand about the benefits of exercise when you are training or whenever you are pregnant, you know? So, yeah. Um, and we'll come to that as well. But yeah, so as far back as sort of the, you know, the 50s, you know, exercise was still very much alien and it wasn't something that would have been recommended when we are pregnant. Um, and then coming into the 1970s, we can really see that there was a massive boom in fitness. And if anyone is listening out there and you were sort of booming in the 70s, you probably would have heard of Jane Fonda and her stuff would have went, you know, oh, yeah. all over the place and very, very popular. And it was actually, you know, she actually brought out a program and I never knew this until I actually find this on, on this paper that she brought out a pregnancy birth and recovery program. I don't yeah, know. She did. <laughs> know this here. And I was just like, huh, very interesting. So I always remember Jane Fonda's like, you know, that, that bouncy thing in a leotard kind of going around and yeah. brings out a pregnancy program. But, you know, that's whenever, you know, again, as I say, so fitness really started to boom, boom. And there was a greater shift in a sense of, sort of freedom and you know people encouraged to exercise whenever they were pregnant and it was at this time that they really started to understand that there were really good benefits whenever you are exercising and then as you kind of move into the 1980s with this rise and this increase of people being pregnant and exercising um, they kind of needed to I guess medical communities kind of needed to pull together and be like okay what are we going to do with this information how can we research it further to really dial in on the correct recommendations? Because we know that, you know, when you are pregnant, you more, you are more at risk, you know, you carry a higher rate of risk of, of things, of things happening. Um, so that was really in the 1980s where again, another sort of snowball of more research was carried out, you know, more positive adaptations were seen to be found to exercise whenever you're pregnant. Um, and we really started to understand, you know, what was happening, you know, changes in the, the cardiovascular demands whenever you're pregnant. Sarah, you can probably talk about that. <laughs> you're dying, doing things, um, you know, change. <laughs> and other things that kind of change within your body, you know, new, more, you know, hormonal responses that kind of change the laxity of, of the, you know, of your joints and all these things um, to kind of put together more information about how we should train whenever we're pregnant. Um, so that people are, you know, able to do what they want to do and be safe whenever they're doing it. Um, and I guess for me, whenever I was reading this paper, it, it jumped out at me because I'm a runner as well. And Sarah, you're a runner. But in the 1980s, I guess maybe this is where this grayness came out, where um, activities such as running and aerobics, where, you know, there was a hypothesis that they, were, they negatively affected pregnant, women, uh, pregnant women's uterus. And it could possibly, you know, lead to premature labor, you know, fetal injury or placenta separation or, or anything else. So very damaging. So running was almost like taboo. And I don't know, but Sarah, I mean, I don't know if, if you've heard or working with clients, are they still of the same mindset that running should be totally avoided whenever you're pregnant? Uh, yes. Yeah. That's always, yeah, the case of, oh, I shouldn't be running, shouldn't be jumping and so on. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that everyone that's pregnant out there should go and start, start running now. But, you know, contrary to what some, some of those theories were proposed, you know, there was, there was conflicting research that was carried out that said that as long as you were healthy 
and exercising at a moderate intensity, you know, there was no real risk there at all. Um, in fact, there was actually some adaptations that fitness levels may actually improve whenever you are pregnant. And Sarah, maybe you can talk about that, that there is a time where you can actually benefit from training when you're pregnant to enhance fitness gains. Um, yeah. Maybe you're, you're moving through your, um, you know, your training at the moment as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the 90s, kind of whenever everyone kind of, this is whenever the real detailed, I'd say, um, guidelines came out whenever sort of physiologists, I guess, and obstetricians, gynecologists kind of came together so that everyone's message was the same because there's nothing more conflicting than having someone say something, someone say something else, and someone say something else. So they came together and kind of produced these these guidelines that a lot of the time today, even I think Sarah, whenever you and I did our pre and postnatal training, that this is what we were taught as a coach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk about that as well as being a little bit limiting and kind of boxed us to a certain extent where maybe we weren't able to offer the full, um, weren't able to offer the full benefits of, of training properly whenever you are actually pregnant. Um, and it was at that that these guidelines were some of the first ones to ever sort of be quantified using sort of, I guess, evidence um, against it. But still today, like what we said, you can't conduct very strong research in this area because it would be unethical. And there are still large gaps and limitations um, in that research that kind of still exists today. Um, and if we kind of fast forward to kind of what it looks like in now in, in, in 2020, um, which is where we, we currently are, um, exercise is massively encouraged um, throughout your pregnant. Um, the train of thought is that, you know, there are general recommendations that are out there, but you have to look at it um, in its context of where you're coming from. So if you are an athlete at the moment, it doesn't mean that you have to stop training or that you give up your high intensity interval training. Um, I think one of the interesting things is when um, it's touted is whenever you're training at such an intense level that birth weight tends to be lower um, than someone who isn't exercises. But when you actually get down to it, on average, it's roughly between 200 and 400 grams, which isn't a massive amount of weight whenever you're talking about, or at least it's not clinically meaningful anyway. Um, so kind of like to wrap that up, um, we've come through stages of we've been exercising a lot, but we don't really know what we're doing. Then we heavily research it. Then we put out these guidelines and we stick on these guidelines, but we're realizing that there's massive gaps in it. And now people are starting to understand that they can do things that they were normally doing before it, but not everybody can do that. And how can we as coaches, as well as perhaps maybe the healthcare providers out there, be able to offer a better service to people that are pregnant so that they can benefit from the really positive adaptations or the really positive responses of continuing to be exercised or continuing, continuing to exercise when you're pregnant from, you know, quicker delivery rate, um, lowering the rate of obesity that might happen um, when you are pregnant um, and a multitude of other things as well that I'm not going to start rhyming off. I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let Terry go. <laughs> This is obviously something yeah. very special to you, Sarah, and it's something that you massively, you know, invest a lot of time in your study into it as well. And normally if I have somebody ask me anyone thing about training pregnant, if you're pregnant, I normally say go Sarah, because I'm not pregnant. <laughs> not yet, anyway. 
yeah, so Sarah, I'd love you just to kind of like talk us through um, you and what you're doing, where you are and what you've done. Great, so, so all the things that you've said before, uh, I agree with 100%. Uh, like things are, like have changed a lot. Um, and then when, um, whenever, okay, I got pregnant, um, the first thing that came to mind, oh, I already took this pre and postnatal training course and I'll be applying all that. But then, you know, going through all other research, um, things have changed. Um, and like, say for example, like first trimester, um, one of the major things that I went through was um, like morning sickness, um, food aversions. Like I couldn't eat the things that I usually ate and I was just tired all the time. Um, lack of sleep, lots of um, uh, like interruptions during like uh, sleep time. Like I had to wake up multiple times and that affected, affected my energy at the, like during the day. Um, so of course with that, it affected my training, um, like massively. So usually I used to train like early in the morning and then my training started, like I had to shift my training to midday or later in the evening time. That's whenever I felt I had a little bit of more energy. So, um, I tried to stick to just, to just, I was still following the training plan of like being like triathlon training, bike, run. Um, of course, we didn't have any swim because of COVID. Everything was closed down. So yeah, and, and one of the misconceptions that um, we were taught is that not to increase your heart, your, your, your heart rate above like 140 uh, beats per minute. And that now... Yeah, not the case anymore. I would actually like to say that I think with all my clients that I'm currently training at the moment, I want you to be pregnant. And I'm going to tell you because that's <laughs> probably sitting in your zone too that no one sticks to. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's yeah, exactly when I had to just stick to zone two. And I remember when we used to have our uh, like one to one like Zoom training, uh, I had to like massively cut on like the intensity because I couldn't keep up yeah. even though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and just to say, I mean, like people are maybe, maybe wondering why, like why 140, what is this, what is this magical? What, why, what is this magical number? And maybe, you know, why would they recommend that? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously to do with, with blood flow. Um, and when the heart rate starts to increase, it's normally doing it because it's trying to shunt blood to somewhere else in the body. So obviously it's, it's tending to, you know, divert it away from, from the baby as well as things like, like temperature increase, uh, increasing as well. So that's where the number was kind of, I guess, formulated from. Um, yeah. But, yeah. But then with that, it's like, okay, 140 is, yeah. You know, nowadays, um, you know, some, you know, with, with, age and all that you know it's also 
you know, it, it varies from yep. individual to individual. So, and that's where I had to change my training to how do I feel yeah. um, during that time. Um, and with that, yeah, I still did hit training, yep. but at a, like a lower uh, intensity. And I just tried to keep going, try to hydrate as much as I can. Um, but other than that, I just tried to still stick to my yeah. normal training that I did. You did. Yeah. You, you kind of kept to your normal training for a while. And I think that tends to be something where you're kind of using more of a, a rate of perceived exertion and I yeah. guess of, you know, be smart about it. I mean, the yeah. fact just because you were pregnant, like the two or three weeks before you were pregnant, you were, you know, you were doing an Ironman or something like that there, you were out on your bike for like three hours at a pop. And then all of a sudden, yeah can't do it and you have to you know restrict yourself to 30 minutes a day of yeah of one somewhat sub 140 and you're like I don't understand what you know there has to be some sort of differentiate differentiation between me and somebody who has never exercised before and exactly the guidelines for them you know yeah and and other the other things like usually I would just train and not need to eat before and I would feel fine but after like during first trimester like I had to make sure that I ate something before and you know before my training so I had to have somewhat of a big meal so to speak than just having my date or whatever during training absolutely so you find it kind of your your nutrition so your nutrition had to change in and around it with yes. and then also your timing, you were saying that, you know, your morning, your morning sickness kind of in, impacted your ability to work out in the morning, but it didn't deter you from training. You just had to yeah. rearrange your schedule. Um, yeah. Then mm-hmm. it was still a priority. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And what um, about training? What about? Strength training. Okay. And with Strength training, um, it still remained, and I was still following the same program, but at that time, I just started to reduce the weights because obviously, like with my energy, I couldn't lift the same weights that I, us- I, that I used to lift. So I had to cut down my weights down to maybe like 70%. But other than that, I was still able to stick to my strength training uh, program. Um, yeah. So, so with that, you know, and I, and I got some, um, comments of, Oh, be careful. Yeah. 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 And okay. How are you still training and you're pregnant? You need to be careful and whatnot. And, and one of the reasons that, okay, say for example, if you just got pregnant, there would be a recommendation of not to start working out until the second trimester. Mm-hmm. And usually it sometimes it may be due to, because the first trimester is um, somewhat of an unstable, um, um, you can say phase and uh, there's a high risk in, in miscarriage. And sometimes if some like some women might be training and then in case of a miscarriage 
they would also always blame that oh maybe because you were training mm. but that's so, that's very inconclusive i guess as well yes exactly yeah if you have been uh, and you continue to train you know that there might be other reasons why you know um yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so yeah and in that case it was just listening to how I felt that day and there were some days that I didn't you know I just felt so tired that okay I didn't train that day you so, see you're kind of kinder to yourself as well that okay yes. <laughs> thing and also like if I'm talking like from a totally personal perspective here like my mom's like when are you gonna have a baby Jill I want to be a grandma you're not getting any younger and I'm thinking to myself hi could I give up my training? <laughs> I like, you know, that I think that would be my biggest hurdle. And, and yeah. I, I'm not able to do what I'm normally able to do. Like it would, I, I think it would be hard. I'm only saying this now, obviously probably whenever I'm not, if I, if I forget pregnant, I'll be like, Oh no, it's fine. I'll probably I'll maybe be the opposite and be like, no, oh. actually, yeah, no, actually it was kind of a struggle because I, I had to train myself mentally and that's one of the things that, say, if, if you were a pre and postnatal coach, yeah. um, you, would, you would try to work on changing your, your athlete's mindset on it's okay, you know, not to train and stick to your training program. And you will have to, you know, just adapt it a bit. And that was a little bit of a, a little bit of a struggle for me at the beginning of uh yeah, yeah. I have my program but absolutely Sarah and I, yeah I, I think it's really nice to kind of shine a light on that as well because you know I'm, there, there may be many people out there listening to it where like they get pregnant it's like they don't really give it they don't give a crap if they stop training because it's not it doesn't it doesn't have a massive you know you know sort of effect or a, you know it's a profound part of their life but like for people like you and people like me, we do this every single day. And, you know, we might be, like for me, sometimes you might be shy to say that, you know, oh, I don't want to do this because oh, I don't want to give up my training. And they're probably thinking to themselves like, why? But yeah, you know, whenever you get older, it's just like, well, everyone's their own. Everyone has different yeah. ways of dealing and, and, and dealing with things. Exactly. like Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. So, so how did you come, come over that then? Like, what was your... Did you have to have words to yourself or, or what? what did, yes. What? Yeah. I had like, whenever I woke up like early in the morning, of course, not being to able, not being able to stick to my morning rituals. Um, I had to just like lay in bed and then just tell myself that it was okay. Hmm. That I, I couldn't train in the morning and it was okay that if, if I didn't train that day, that okay, it's 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 still fine. I can just make it up later on, and then I'm I'm not training for a competition. Yeah. So that was another thing that okay, I'm I'm not training like for an Ironman or so yeah. So that's when okay that helped me a bit to realize that you know it was fine not to stick to my stick to your um, yeah and then and so 
that, that was kind of in the first trimester, that was kind of the most, that, that was, that was the biggest thing was just trying yeah. to kind of be kind to yourself to kind of understand that, you know, it's not a competition. Yeah. You can do what you got to do. It's about maintenance now. And mm-hmm. you talk a bit more about working with feel. You still continue to train. You still did everything yeah. you're normally doing, but you just, I guess, listen to your body in some way, shape or form. Um, yeah. And you were affected massively by motion sickness in month one. What about as we kind of or month one trimester one? What about as you've moved into the second trimester? What has what has that been like? So moving on to the second trimester, that's when things got a little bit better. Uh, morning sickness like faded away and got was less. I I was like sleep wise, like it was also better. So I didn't have to wake up multiple times at night, like before. Um, but it was, um, that's whenever I started, of course, like with, um, I've started to notice that I had like a little bit of back pain, um, developed, uh, especially um, after like going on a li- long turbo session on the bike. So with that, of course, like I've stopped um, going outdoors on a bike. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that has to do with just like avoiding anything that requires balance and losing balance. So that was one thing, even though like that was really tough for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like envying my husband because he went for like an outdoor training on his bike and I would be like, mm, I just envy you that you're just on your bike outside in nature but yeah but and and that was fine um one of the things that um um of course the the fetus starts growing and that's where the recommendation during the second trimester would be um to just avoid lying prolonged lying on your back and training um because that would have like the fetus uh, have pressure on the in a cab and sometimes like you can feel dizzy but apparently that's not the case um because now with new research coming out that you know it depends on the individual with some um women they may feel yeah. a little bit dizzy if they lie down for a period of time on their back some uh, expectant mothers would feel fine yeah, we were talking about this before as well. That that is a recommendation. That is one of the recommendations that was given to us when we did our pre and postnatal training. Um, we'll talk a bit little about that at the end, just from like a coaching mm-hmm. perspective. Um, but that's not that's not that's not sort of a, a unified global recommendation. There are still countries that that so that they don't have that within their guidelines. Um, I am going to say that Spain is 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 one of them. I think. Um, I, I need to go back, but yeah, but like you kind of think to yourself, well, even looking at that before even saying that, you know, if, if every country in the world isn't unified in their recommendations, then how do we really know? And now in my head, I'm just thinking COVID because there's so many <laughs> <laughs> biggest bugbear in my life right now, <laughs> but <laughs> have a unanimous, this is it then you have to understand that there will be people out there that will be able to get away with doing things very, very differently, you know? And, you know, how do you know if you're one of those different people? Yep. How do you know? 
like so try yeah. so yeah so it's all uh, about um individualized um having an individualized approach to training um like that's one of the things that i've i've discovered so each person would have would react different differently during training and even like with pregnancy in general so with that it's more of you know just as as long as you're just somewhat just understanding what you're going through um because there's another recommendation of okay uh, just do what you've always done. Yes. Okay. Uh, and with that comes, okay, you, you get that general recommendation sometimes from coaches or like from doctors. Oh, if you feel fine, you just do whatever you've been doing. But at the same time with that, um, the biomechanics start to change with the growing belly. So in that case, you know, I started to gradually reduce um like jumping and running um and it was more of because it was more of okay i would ask myself how i felt during um mm -hmm. whenever i ran and all that and sometimes i would feel a little bit of pressure um around my belly and like um lower um abdominals and that's when i thought okay you know what maybe you know i started to just like not to run for a long period of time and i would just like walk run type thing walk run and then like now through my fifth and sixth same month um that's when i just completely stopped running because it didn't feel okay um and the other thing is that you know just taking into consideration that with having a growing fetus, there would be some, um, you can say some pressure and changes in, um, on the um, pelvic floor. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So that too, you know, it's, it's all about, say, if I were a coach and I was training someone, it's all about educating and informing. 100%. Yeah. Uh, my athlete. And then at the end, it's up to the athlete to do what yeah. she finds best for mm -hmm. her. But yeah. And, and one of the other things that I started to follow is the talk test. So uh, more than, okay, how do I feel? So as long as I've been training and I can, you know, I can hold like a, a, a mini conversation during my workout. Yeah. That's how it helped me just like keep going without like going beyond and pushing because whenever I felt that I pushed myself a little bit more, that's whenever um, I didn't feel okay later on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that I think just, I think you, you know, yourself, I know with you, you would have never have went to the extremes anyway, just for the crack, you know, you would have, you, you might've tried it, but using that feedback model, you kind of listen to, you kind of listen to your body. I think that's super, super, yeah. um, whenever you yeah. are, you are doing that. Um, so you kind of stop right there in your second, second trimester. Yeah. Running box jumps, yeah. um, bike sessions still remain the same, but of course the session started to become shorter. 
Okay. And even like with my training, usually I would train for almost um, 90 minutes, like strength training. And then it, it went down to one hour. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, it was all about, okay, how I felt that day. Um, and then also being busy, I can say, but yeah, it was all about, you know, just trying to find time to train. And then I didn't want to just like overwhelm my, uh, overwork myself. So, um, I still stuck to, um, like three times a week of strength training. Um, but the weights went even lower. So I started training at 50%. And, um, with some movements, um, I started to, uh, whenever I went with a slighter, heavier, uh, back squat, I can, or especially front squat, I would feel it in my lower back. And that's where, yeah, I was just like, okay, you know what? It, this is not even 50. I have to go even lower than yeah. 50%. And it yeah. was fine. Totally. And so as you kind of head into the, the third trimester, I mean, obviously I'm pretty sure you have a program set aside for yourself. Um, so maybe we can touch it. Recommendations during the third trimester are, again, very similar to the second one in that, you know, you're kind of avoiding anything that can cause impact, blow, balance issues, anything like that. Um, and and from a, for us, we were taught, you know, anything that would have like isometric holds, a lot of, you know, heavy pressing, heavy loading um, should be should be omitted during that phase. Um, how are you doctoring your training? So with that, you know, I I'm I would still go even like for now go away. I'm I'm at the end of my second trimester, going into my third. So one of the things that I have felt was that okay, even like working out at my fifty percent would even go lower. Because mm -hmm. that's wherever, okay, now I'm feeling more pressure around my hips. And um, say, for example, whenever I was doing like kettlebell swings, okay, yeah. with, that, with the weight that I'm used to, uh, yeah. it, it didn't feel okay. That's whenever, okay, I had to um, like modify maybe the movement itself. Yeah. So it's all about just maintaining or trying like to maintain my fitness level um and then even say for example okay going into like second to third trimester the belly is growing even more and um one of the recommendations is to avoid crunches pull-ups um anything that would add any abdominal pressure mm -hmm. on on the abs um and i i could feel it like whenever I started um, doing my, or whenever I had pull-ups, I would really feel it um, in my abs. And that's where it didn't feel okay. So one of the things that they would not recommend is going like in a supine position, like doing planks or full push-ups. And for me, yeah, it did not feel okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so now it's just, you know, elevated push-ups. Um, I can train my core in like with different movements. So it's all about just trying to um, adapt to the changes of my, my biomechanics and, and just going with um, 
whatever I can do. Um, so yeah, so yeah, just going through like the third trimester, it's almost the same as the second, but that's whenever you would feel heavier. Yeah. So and, in terms of your exercise selection, they pretty much say the same. Your, kind of, yeah. your frequency is, is still going to stay the same. Um, but yeah. like intensity wise, you're looking just a drop down to wherever you kind of feel that you're moving well and there's no, uh, there's no discomfort um, with, with where you are. Yes. Yeah. 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 That, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I think whenever we talk about obviously kind of delivery and, and, and postpartum, I guess that's probably another diff totally different podcast. Cause that also opens up another box of, of, of clowns of, of knowing <laughs> to return when they are not returned to oh action yeah. or you know what is happening what is happening here and I guess like if we can kind of like bring this here together at the end I mean like you've been listening to it probably for the past sort of 40 minutes um and we've obviously heard a little bit about you know history of of of, of guidelines of how you know research has come about and you know what we should train, what we shouldn't train. You've heard from Sarah's own personal experience where maybe there were times where she didn't adhere to these particular guidelines. Um, she's kind of done her own thing. And you might be sitting there going, I actually don't know. I'm, I'm so, so confused. And I'd say, join the crew. Um, <laughs> because a lot of the times there is a massive amount of confusion. And I think wh where I see what would be very, very beneficial is just an increase in awareness, an increase in free education, um, not only in the form of like in the gyms, but actually in the places where it matters. And that's what I'm talking about is actually in, in practices or in hospitals where, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're a, um, a, you know, a maternity nurse or there is something where any new mother there, they are given, you know, the education that they need and the guidance that they need that's, that's somewhat applicable to them. And I'm probably asking for the world here, but you know, that's what needs to be done, I guess, to a certain extent, you know, because it is, yeah. it, it is massive, you know, um, um, on what we would need for, yeah, like for, as, um, as coaches, um, we, um, our course kind of give us the raw basic fundamentals of, you know, what we should do with the general population. And if Sarah's like me, a lot of the time, my athletes aren't really general population people. So if I would take this information and kind of apply it to them, it mightn't, it mightn't give us the best results. Um, so coaches were constantly coming up against, because at the end of the day, like we want to make sure that all the athletes are safe. So we, we need you know, up-to-date, credible research, and we need to keep investing in ourselves in order to prescribe it because we know that it's not just a one-glove-fits-all. Yep. So, yeah, like one of the things that I would recommend, especially, oh, you know, if, if, if you don't have any idea of what you're doing, you can work with a professional, mm -hmm. with a, a, a certified uh, pre- and postnatal coach, mm -hmm. but you know, taking into consideration that, okay, you are working with someone who is constantly trying to be, um, is trying to yeah, be up to date yeah. and is more of there for guidance. 
um, and also like working with a, a pelvic floor specialist yes, uh, or pelvic health um, specialist, like that would be like a major win for uh, female athletes um, because that's also like a, a, another thing that, you know, um, like the body is constantly changing. So you will need someone to guide you. With, uh, with the, all the changes that like you're you're going through, um, like hormonal, mental, physical changes, like throughout like the pregnancy and postpartum, so definitely just work with someone who would guide you. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to take into into consideration, and I mean, if you're a coach, kind of like listening out there as well just like me and me and Sarah are like we obviously a lot of the time when you do your personal trainer award they, they touch and we do touch I mean even as a tutor I touch I touch on you know training an athlete that is that is pregnant or training an athlete that's returning to sport what are the basic guidelines and that's what's given so you know even as a even as a tutor I, I have to give this information as it is because obviously that's what my you know my insurance covers um, and if I go out with that and God forbid touch wood, you know, something great might happen, but if something bad happens then that leaves you liable. So, um, you know, it's, I, I think there has to be some sort of change in that as well, to a certain extent, um, to allow for that kind of, that, that individuality between athletes, um, or just females in general. Um, but also, understand that there is so much more to learn in that and a, a, a personal trainer award is not going to arm you with the knowledge that you need to train someone that is pregnant. Also, if I would say even the course that we took on our pre and postnatal, as, as good as it was and it is recognized, it is a credit. It's very, very safe. You know, it will deliver you the basics, but sometimes if you're faced with an athlete coming to you, those basics aren't going to cut it, yeah. you know? You, those basics are for your general population, the people that have never really exercised before. So that, that, that qualification is probably the best thing that you can do for that. But if you're working with an athlete or you're working with someone, you know, of, of a higher caliber, those rules may not necessarily apply. Um, I think you need to take them. And I think maybe more research is needed in that particular area. And I know Sarah, yeah. you you're always kind of in your time in that thing. So you're currently studying at the moment. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So, so one of my, the tips would be to just constantly like doing your, your research, uh, up in your knowledge by taking credible courses. Um, and, um, I, I feel like that would help a lot to just make you more, um you can say more reliable and uh for you more confident in delivering what's best for like as an uh in, in or offering an individualized program for your athlete mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it was always one of those ones that even when sort of when i was working in the, in the gym environment as well a lot of the times you would have got other coaches saying, oh, you know, Flan is pregnant in my class. What do I do? And, you know, you're given the general recommendations and that's kind of what you have to do. But you kind of know that 
like that's that's the only thing that you can do at that time you know just to keep yourself super super safe and i would always say that as well if if you're a coach and you're and you're really just new or you are teaching the a big group group class or group you know you know group exercise class is do you know go safer go safer than safe you know um but then again it seems if you're training that high-end athlete then you need to allow for some sort of um individuality in that there yeah um yeah like i i still get some um comments whenever some um uh, followers um watch my story while i was training and they always give me the um the comment of oh you always like like you always scare me whenever I like whenever I watch you training like I cringe because I'm afraid that you'll injure yourself and that's one of the things that that's okay you know what because I understand a little bit of what I'm doing and this is like a a very modified way of training this is very individual so. Yeah, a totally different podcast. But but for me, like I always laugh, and I think we've chatted about this before. But I will never pass judgment or comment on anyone else's workout routine. Like I'll look at it and I'll be like, well, you know, you're doing that for some sort of reason. What, what me me voicing that opinion is is doing what? Like one, I've wasted my time. Two, you know, it's and I, I get it. It's not nice receiving things like that either, because then that's like you're then thinking, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And then there's what a stigma around attaching or doing something that you know feels good for you. Like, yeah. And I'm always like, yeah, my number one tip is that like sometimes I know that I can do more, but it's always listening to that little like inner voice inside that's asking or giving me that, "Mm, okay, why um what are like the risks and rewards related to this movement that you're doing and and can we achieve it in a different way and that's always like my my guideline for how i train so yeah yeah absolutely you know i mean it could kind of like just to kind of wrap wrap up and and summarize here we've kind of just went like we've obviously been in a big (laughs) about set guidelines but then we've talked about individuality and guys and kind of like a you know i hope you have kind of took something away from this year and if there is one thing that you have taken away it's just you know approach everything with an individual outlook you know understand yeah. that there are you know the, the basic fundamentals that are there um try and learn as much as you can about what's actually going on inside your body as a sort of a foundation and then you know seek help from a professional um and I mean a professional that maybe A, has one experienced childbirth, pregnancy, trained through their own pregnancy and has actually qualified themselves in you know, a pretty legitimate and valid course out there that's up to date with what's going on in the world. Um, and I think if you do all of those, all of those things, you're kind of, you're, you're going to be on the forfeit. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be one step ahead of the game rather than going into it blindly and you know coming from a point where you're very highly trained to stick into this or the other end being zero training at all 
to suddenly trying to go to hero during your pregnancy, which happens as well. Um, yeah. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but Sarah, if you could, if you had any sort of final lap parting words for anybody that is pregnant at the moment, um, that, that, that you wish somebody would have had told you sooner or anything like that there, what would it be? Or how would you, how would you end it? Um, well, first thing it would be, okay, be patient. But number one, um, and, uh, one of the things that, okay, if, if just keep active, that's, that's one of my main recommendations. Just keep active, seek professional um, guidance. And it's more of just like, trust that inner like gut uh, in addition to just educating, education, education, education. Um, yeah. And just try to be on top of things and uh, just be safe and enjoy it exactly yeah yeah absolutely um but sarah i want to say thank you very much for coming on and sharing your your journey through your pregnancy <laughs> <laughs> your uh your morning sickness your changing food did you have any weird food cravings this is fun but no Huh. Actually, it wasn't weird. It was more of um, this time around, I was just craving a lot of sweets. I would crave cake, ice cream, and that wasn't my normal cravings during my first two were like pregnancies where I just craved salty, like savory dishes. So I would yeah. also say time that we've ever chatted like I remember at least on well a lot of occasions that Sarah was just Sarah just ate the whole way through our FaceTime call <laughs> for maybe 90 minutes and just there all the time and at one time I think she just had like a, a satsuma constantly in her mouth like eating <laughs> and I was like is that like a never ending orange yeah <laughs> yeah I, it's like yeah I don't know like this like what I ask myself, it's like, who am I? I don't know who am I right now from all the changes that have happened from pre-pregnancy and like with my training and food cravings and all that. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's just being smart about it and just yeah, knowing well, yeah, we're pregnant or thinking about getting pregnant guys i hope that you've enjoyed this this i guess lighthearted chat about it a little bit of insight into it and if you are i guess looking to learn more then by all means i'm sure sarah would love for you to reach out to her not of course. just, just yet <laughs> like i know a lot about it but i just i think it's still sometimes if i haven't experienced something it would be very difficult maybe me to connect and kind of relate to it in some way shape or form very true so I would always, I would always pass that on and, and you'd be in good hands there with Sarah and um, yeah, forward to the birth of, of baby Jill. Baby J, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This will not be the last time I am sure. And thank you everyone yeah. that took the time to listen to it. Thank you for having me. Always, always fun. <laughs> thank you. Have a great day guys. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.